Welcome, everyone. This is the uh, latest edition of Conversing Labs, which is Reversing Labs' uh, biweekly podcast where we talk about threats, threat hunting, um, uh, threats to software supply chain, uh, and uh, all manner of uh, interesting topics like that. I'm your host, Paul Roberts. I'm the cyber content lead here at Reversing Labs. I'm very pleased this week to have one of my colleagues, Carlo Zanke, who is a reverse engineer at Reversing Labs with us. Hey, welcome, Carlo. Thank you, Paul. I'm glad to be here also. It's great to have you. You have been the author of a number of really interesting research reports for uh, Reversing Labs uh, in your time here, and you do a lot of really uh, fascinating work. And we're going to talk about some of it this week um, regarding uh, dependency confusion attacks, uh, which is a very interesting area uh, of investigation. Um, for the just a little bit of housekeeping before I get going for our attendees. Um, we do. We are going to take questions at the uh, end of our conversation with Carlo. So if you've got them, just use the. We're on Zoom webinars. Just use the Q and A feature uh, to pose your questions. Uh, there is a chat feature. I'm going to share some links uh, to some of the writing that we've done on NPM-related threats and attacks uh, in the chat. And feel free to uh, you know communicate to uh, me or the uh, other hosts or other attendees. Um, and uh, following the conversation today, we're going to just have a couple questions for you about um, potentially uh, interested in some follow-up uh, webinars or discussions around uh, dependency confusion attacks. Um, you'll also have the option to uh, get a Conversing Labs t-shirt, the rare Conversing Labs t-shirt. So uh, hang around to the end if you uh, want to score a t-shirt. Um, Carla, welcome. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you, Paul. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, could you tell us just a little bit about uh, the work that you do here at Reversing Labs? Well, uh, here at Reversing Labs, uh, I'm mainly uh, responsible for research and uh, creating, uh, finding interesting stories for uh, presentation of our uh, my everyday job is looking at potential malware and trying to find uh, something dangerous in software world. So uh, today we're talking about some really interesting discoveries that you had just in the last couple of weeks um, regarding dependency confusion <laughs> uh, attacks or threats uh, to uh, on the NPM um, platform is a kind of open source uh, platform. Could you talk just a little bit about wh what dependency confusion is um, and how dependency confusion attacks work before we, before we delve into what you specifically discovered? Well, dependency confusion is a type of attack where the attacker doesn't directly try to penetrate your infrastructure. Instead, they try to uh, circum Certain way your defenses by uh, making uh, your uh, build environment or one of your developers uh, install the malicious payload uh, on your system without direct interaction. So we aren't talking about phishing emails or something like that where they are trying to alert you to install something by clicking on it. Instead, this is a bit more complex attack where the attacker tries to find 
uh, one of your weak spots uh, and make you make your uh, misconfiguration do the job instead of him. So mm -hmm. basically, uh, he uh, relies on you having uh, private dependencies, depending that your source code depends on private packages, uh, and that such packages don't exist in public NPM repository, PyP, anything, whatever. Uh, and doesn't have, uh, doesn't have to be NPM, right? Could be no. Could be, it can be yeah. any public package repository right. uh, as long as it has most of them have. Uh, let's say uh, are vulnerable to uh, dependency confusion attacks because that's just let's say a feature, not a vulnerability, as they would say. They provide right. you with an option to configure your system so that it isn't vulnerable. But if by default it is, you if you miss the proper configuration steps, you will end up with a vulnerable development environment. Right. So uh, they rely on you having a private dependency package inside your uh, build, build environment infrastructure, and that that package isn't listed in public npm repo. What they do then, they publish their own malicious uh, package to the public repository, name it the same as your package is named in your private repository, and give it a higher version number in hope that uh, procedures in uh, your build environment will fetch the one, the package from the public repository, which has higher version numbers, suggesting that it's a newer and uh, that it's your goal to install a right. newer version of your package. Right. So applications these days might use a, a variety of both public uh, open source modules and internal, private, you know, non-public, privately developed modules, um, and and they all kind of come together. Um, and these attacks seem to play on, you know, where that package, where a module is sourced from, and and exploit some configuration weaknesses in these platforms, npm or pypy or or GitHub or whatever, where they might um, just. Um, preference the higher version number over whether something is public, a, a public package or a, a private package. Um, yes. And we've seen there was some there was some really um, interesting, pretty extensive research done um, uh, about a year ago uh, that revealed this as an avenue to attack some really uh, sophisticated companies, uh, Apple, Tesla. Uh, and others who were vulnerable to this, right? Who found that uh, the, the, the you could push malicious code into these environments using these dependency confusion uh, strategies. Um, how common is it, Carlo, that folks um, who might be using a platform like NPM or GitHub or what have you um, would have it misconfigured um, or set up in such a way that again, Public package with the higher version number, but the same name as a as a private internally developed package might get loaded. Well, uh, as general vulnerabilities in any uh, software system, uh, OWASP puts uh, misconfiguration very high in top ten uh, vulnerability reasons 
mm -hmm. in their vulnerability list. So uh, it's common in any kind of development. So also in uh, development based on public source repositories. So mm -hmm. again, it is a lot of people, a lot of developers of any kind forget to do proper configuration. Either they don't know how to do it, either they uh, configure it well on two or three systems and just one place they forget. So uh, as soon as you have to do some configuration and uh, by default, it's by default, the configuration is not protecting you. There is a high probability that some percent of people will remain vulnerable. Let's talk about the, um, let's move the story up to about to the end of April, uh, I think April 29th, the company Sneak, um, just uh, in cybersecurity company, published some research uh, saying that they had discovered um, some targeted um, dependency confusion attacks, uh, didn't name the firm that, that it was associated with, but these were sort of in the wild, what appeared to be dependency confusion uh, attack on the NPM platform. Um, talk about what Sneak uh, uncovered and, and then kind of how you engage with that. Well, uh, the Sneak detected uh, dependency confusion attack, they did a detailed analysis. And uh, oh, just let me first say, uh, today they are, every day you can see a lot of NPM packages uh, containing, trying to prove, create a proof of concept for dependency confusion. But most of them don't have a real malware, fully functional malware inside them. They just perform beaconing or something like that. What was interesting to Sneak was that they found a package that contained a fully functional malware. So it would get installed, it performed all kinds of malicious operation, it included reverse shells, so it's a fully functional malware. And uh, what was more interesting was that it was well obfuscated and also included uh, encryption of the final payload. So that triggered some interest in them. They did a good write-up about it, found public the obfuscator for it, uh, and pretty much did uh, the whole analysis. What was interesting that uh, these pa packages were published uh, 12th of April, they reported them around the end of April. In the meantime, till today, there were several other packages of the same format with the same content uh, published to the NPM repositories, targeting other companies, uh, which we can detect based on username of the NPM uh, publisher right. of the right. packages. Right. So they were targeting, all the names were targeting uh, German companies right uh, which was interesting uh so you said that this is going on a lot like you're getting your if you were to just monitor or scan all the activity on npm uh in a given week or whatever you would see a lot of these types of precursors to what look like dependency confusion attacks but that a lot of them might be they might be the work of people like you they might be the work of security researchers or security companies kind of testing things out right or or who knows what non-malicious kind of yes yeah attacks hard to, hard to know what's behind them could be malicious could not be malicious but yes. they're not it's not malware yes. per se yeah 
in this case, we had a fully functional malware. Yeah. That's what was right. interesting. Right. So, and all these packages were from the same actor, obviously. The actor did a lot of uh, work to remain uh, anonymous. Uh, all the accounts were created with Cotton Mail, uh, mail provider, uh, which means that they didn't want to know who was behind this right. stuff. Right, right. So it all looks like a genuine model. And in terms of like what was in, so when you're looking at a dependency confusion attack, like one thing you noted was that there's a, there's a module, there's one of these NPM packages that has a legitimate name, appears to be the name of a internally developed module, non-public module. We don't know where, we don't know where it's from. We don't know who developed it. We don't know where it's used, but looks like a legitimate name. And then these two other packages that were um, linked to that, that were clearly sort of gibberish, nonsense names, um, uh, packages. Um, when you go to analyze those, Carla, what are you what are you looking for um, when you when you um, find find stuff like that? Well, generally, the most important thing is that you finally want to know is what malware is capable of and uh, what is the command server to which it phones back. So that's generally what you look. But what's always in, always interesting is uh, new techniques in malware obfuscation, I don't know anything bypassing. So something that differs it from other malware you have previously seen. And yeah, of course, you want to find out who is behind it. Is it somehow connected to some well-known actor from before or anything? In this case, uh, none of research, uh, Sneak did a research, JFrog did a research, uh, we did a research. Uh, there, no, none of us, none of us could have uh, pinpointing the actor behind this. That was quite interesting. Right, because all you have to go for on is really these, you know, uh, maintainer accounts at NPM or GitHub. Yes. They're associated with an email address, but it's a kind of straw man email address, a proton mail address or, yes. or pub, yeah. So, and that's kind of the end of the line in terms of what, what you have as a, as a, as a trail leading to the attacker. What, um, just looking at the packages themselves, like what are some of the, um, you know, like if you were, if you're on the target side, the defender side, what are there, are there red flags? Are there things that you should be looking for um, if you're concerned about, you know, some, an attack like this on your own um, well, uh, organization? Uh, first thing you wish to look is, uh, look at our version numbers. Let's okay. say you have a private package number, you usually put number versions in sequential order, 1.0, 1.1, 1.2. And if you suddenly uh, hit a large uh, discrepancy in your version order, you can find that pretty unexpected. Mm -hmm. But again, that would require you to look at the dependency you have installed in your software, mm -hmm. uh, which if you have a lot of dependencies in your software, it's not an easy task. If you have two or three dependencies, it's not hard to track. But if you have a bit more complex software, which has tens of dependencies, don't, we don't need to talk about hundreds. It's even enough that you have 10, 20 dependencies. It's hard to follow track about those version numbers. Usually human brain can put seven, eight things in the context and more of that something 
gets out of the brain. So you want to look at high version numbers. And also you want, again, if you get infected, you want to monitor network activities and typical malware detection stuff. Right. So Sneak discovered these three packages. They wrote it up in a blog post end of April. What, what was the process you used to go from the work that they did to discovering additional packages, related packages on NPM with different, some different contents and functionality in them? Well, actually, I did my everyday job and looked for malicious packages. And when I found the package, I tried to find more about the encryption news, about some constants seen in the code. And then, of course, the first uh, Google search result was Snick's blog. So, right. You said, okay. When you, when you yeah. find something interesting, you usually try to get more information about that sample right. to see if it was already found on anything like that. Right. And we know from the, so we're talking about these in the context of targeting German firms. And we're saying that because, first of all, in the, in the sneak blog post, there was a, one of the, the, the maintainer accounts, I think was Bosch. Bosch, and yes. P, yeah, Bosch, Bosch NPM modules or something like that. So there was this Bosch, obviously big German electronics firm. Yeah, but um, when you have just one maintainer, it's not uh, easy to understand right. that it's targeting the real Bosch. It's company. a big leap to sort of say this must be targeting yes. Bosch, right? But in this um, case, we had three more packages which also contain different names of prominent German companies. And from that, we could, we, we could conclude that targets were German companies of all decks. Right, and 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 one of them was, uh, you know, Bertelsmann NPM was one of the accounts. There was the the Bosch node modules. Uh, there was another one, DB Schenk, uh, DB Schenker, which is a, a rail yes. and logistics company in in Germany as well. So putting that all together, to you and to most of us, looks like okay, this seems to be a, a targeted attack against uh, German firms and and your mind kind of goes from there okay well who might want to target german firms and so on but but the basis for that again is the maintainer names the module names and typo squatting or this kind of um you know confusion is a part of dependency confusion attacks right so type when we talk about typo squatting that's often used in like phishing attacks or watering hole attacks you set up a domain to sort of look like another domain and then lure people to it and hope that they don't notice that it's different how does how does typo squatting work in the context of like um dependency confusion attacks is it is it a really well, important part component of it or not well i wouldn't name it type of sporting since in most cases uh, the name of the package needs to be the same as the prior yes. package right but type of sporting is also quite often seen in public repositories because uh, there are more vectors for performing type of sporting right traditional one letter change is one of type but right. you have in uh, npm for example you have scopes monkey some other name and what you can do is uh, name, take a basic package name and extend it or remove scope from it to perform type of squatting. So you have uh, more vectors, more uh, possibilities to perform type of squatting uh, in public repositories than in some other traditional uh, type of squatting landscapes. Right. But you make a really good point, which is for dependency confusion to work, the, the 
the attack module, so to speak, the public attack module has to actually have the exact same name as the yes. private module. So that that would seem to be like if you were if you were worried about this as a development organization, one thing it seems like you should be doing is is scanning like npm or GitHub for modules that have the same name as the private modules that you maintain, right? Yes, that's one way to find them. But also, what you can do to protect yourself uh, is to use npm scopes and right. to reserve your scope on npm so someone else couldn't use that against you right how is it that private you know modules that you develop internally become known publicly right like how does that how does that happen and, well, and what mistakes happen. do development organizations make well, for example accidentally you have some build script which publish online to the public git repo and uh, mistakenly it puts something that wasn't mm, defined in a github ignore file or something like that uh, when you perform publish in npm uh, you automatically publish something uh, to some repo that you configured and if you didn't configure it to be private we can get again somewhere there are a lot of ways uh, is, again, is there an easy way to search for that is there an easy way to scan for that like have we you know here well, the, you know, we got a list of private modules we know their names We're, let's go ahead and just scan all these different repos and look for any reference to them yeah you uh, the research from 2021 did just that uh, search yeah, right. for public, uh, for private names in public repos. So there are several ways to do this. Yeah. So there are tools bad guys to... could do it if they know the name, but of course, as a developer, as a good guy, right? Or a potential target, something you could do. Perform that, yes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, talk about, uh, from like the, the attack standpoint, um, I mean, we talk about dependency confusion, but this is really just a way to place malware in target environments at the end of the day, right? So could you just talk about the, the, the kind of connect the dots between these malicious NPM modules, like the ones that we saw? And um, so those, those get loaded um, maybe by mistake. Um, how you move from that to actually getting the uh, malicious binaries onto the target environment? How does that, how does that process work? Well, once you have it in public NPM, I'm not sure if I understood the question totally, but uh, once you publish your malicious code upload up uh, to the repository, you don't need to do anything personally, directly. Uh, it's all now on the target and uh, their build environment. If their build environment is configured to, let's say, a daily update dependency, they, they will do it instead of you. You don't have to perform any further action. You don't have to send phishing emails, anything like that. Your uh, biggest work is in preparation, finding good target, uh, prepare good package with a good version. And you don't even have to try too hard to keep it uh, hidden because since this stuff is done uh, in automatically in background from the node engine or your build environment, uh, the developer often doesn't see that the dependencies got updated. Right. And at that point, really, it's just a malware infection, right? At that yes, point, you're really talking about just, right. 
you you have you you probably have when that JavaScript is run uh, in node module. Node provides uh, post install scripts, which um, enable that after installation is finished, you launch some node script which you have in the package. So once you specified it to launch after the installation, it's up. It's you, if you configure it properly to beacon back to you, probably through DNS or anything that can go out through several yeah. layers of protection, yep. uh, you know that you have a reverse shell. Now it's right. up to you what you want to do next. You can put anything other on it. And your so, analysis found that these these modules had you know kind of the full range of capabilities that a, yes. that, a that a malicious downloader would have. Yes, uh, as right. uh, download packages, upload information, uh, execute reverse shell with several commands. So, right, everything. Uh, the sneak blog did also a good technical yep. description of the malware itself. So. Is definitely a good read. Okay, so we published and, and JFrog published and Sneak published these blog posts saying like, you know, NPM dependency confusion attacks are being used to attack German organizations. And then within like the last 12 hours, um, we got uh, <laughs> a, uh, a tweet uh, from this German company that I wasn't familiar with, but maybe other people were. Um, uh, uh, Code White Security. Uh, saying thanks so much for your great research. Um, you know, basically, yeah, this is a red team attack uh, that we have been doing on behalf of our clients, and um, you discovered it. And um, you know, good job. Uh, so, um, let's see, w what should we think about this? So this is so. Lo and behold, uh, yes, there was an attack on um, German firms. Uh, we were right about that. Uh, no, it was not malicious per se. It was part of a um, planned kind of red team assessment of their security. Good, I guess that you know Bertelsmann and Bosch and these other companies are are looking at this as a uh, avenue of attack. Um, what uh, do we make of this, um, Carlo? And what what should we uh, conclude? Well, personally, my opinion is uh, that okay, you're a red teamer. You want to do something. To yep. prove something that yep. the something is vulnerable, but usually it's not a, it's not so common to put a truly functional, fully functional malware as a payload for your uh, red tool, red team tool, uh, because in this case anyone can copy that repository that were public. Some of them still are still haven't been removed from npm. So any malicious actor can copy the, that full functional malware, modify it on its own account and use it again on something else. It's the, what's specific about the public repositories? You can always create another account, publish another software. Most of that software doesn't go through some uh, detailed code review, which prevents you from publishing. Uh, it works, security uh, works in a way that someone reports malware and then they remove it. So in this case, when somebody puts a red tool up, which is fully functional malware, uh, anybody else can also download it, redo it, rework it and publish it for his own purposes. Right. So uh, 
This is all okay. kind of happening in the open, in the open, basically yes. in public. Uh, yeah. One one thing is when you put uh, red team tools in a closed environment of the company, you are pen testing. But when you publish it fully functional to public repository, you need to be aware that someone else can detect it and use it for his really bad purposes. Right. So uh, that's why most of the red testing, red team testing tools on NPM are usually just beacons. Right. They I mean, one really thing I thought is, listen, you know, companies that are hired to do red teaming, like their job is to get into your environment, right? Like that's what you're paying them to do. And so they're going to stay on top of whatever the latest and best means for compromising organizations are. The fact that this company used and you know npm dependency confusion is an indication that you know the word is out basically that this is a very reliable means to penetrate you know even sophisticated organizations you know uh, white white hat companies doing red team assessments are using it but by extension we should also assume that the bad guys are yeah are doing this as well it's right? it's also positive for from this case is that it definitely has risen the awareness of the problem. It will probably uh, spread some news among companies and that's a good thing about it. But there are, well, sometimes it's good to make some publicity and sometimes yeah. it also, right. there's always good and bad. Everybody as the saying goes, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, that's true. <laughs> uh, some people may, you know, say, could take issue with that. But um, so I guess the question is, so, you know, if you're, if you're an organization that, you know, an enterprise, you know, you're doing software development, you're obviously consuming open source and third party code from different different you know platforms github npm what have you um, you know you made a lot of investments in kind of traditional security detection and monitoring tools ids ips endpoint you know maybe you've got some cloud based stuff as well um, where does this as a, so this is a new kind of attack vector that you may not be aware of or have been aware of but clearly it's one that's being used what can you really do from a um, monitoring and detection standpoint to stay on top of this and to be feel confident that somebody tries a dependency confusion attack against my organization, we're either insulated from it, you know, we're not we're not vulnerable, or we're going to detect it, you know, when it happens. Um, what would you recommend? Because there aren't really like security tools that do just this, that look just for this type of thing. Yes, definitely what you should do is like always uh, use all the best recommendation for security because that, that that are the places, you can always catch it when it tries to get outside if it's not doing just wiping. Uh, so you need to keep all, you, you can't put back uh, the traditional methods, but what you need to do is if you use any kind of public source code repository and you have a private network, you need to, uh, let's say, uh, do monitoring of the communication with the outside public repositories, either through some 
middle protected controlled you're uh, controlled by yourself a mirror of such public repositories which you then do some analysis of anything that gets into it and stay down and you also need to monitor let's say create a process of uh, validating configurations whenever anybody you need to define good procedure about a proper configuration of your development environment because as stated by OWASP uh, this configuration is still one of top problems and top vulnerabilities in any kind of software solution so you need to do configuration properly there are a lot of public uh, documents explaining how it is properly done you need to do that properly there are also tools which can help you track dependencies and such stuff you can also use them and never bad thing we have um getting ready to wrap up uh i think we got um we are going to be doing questions and answers so if you have a question for carlo about anything we've talked about um, use a Q&A feature to, uh, to ask your question and Carlo and I will get to it. Um, Carlo, a final question is, if you're concerned that um, you know, an attack like this may have taken place, um, what, what can you do to sort of retrace the steps here and piece together um, you know, uh, something like a dependency confusion attack after the fact to figure out you know whether you've been targeted or victimized like are there um what would be the steps that you would use to try and like reconstruct an attack and figure out what happened is it uh, is it pretty straightforward just kind of looking at you know first thing you need to analyze is your dependencies you need to see what do you use from outside repositories you can do that by analyzing your code you don't need mm -hmm. to perform any further action but code analysis you need to look at the places where your dependencies have been declared and see what you have installed that's the most important thing and then you can see if that is really what what is what came from your private repository if uh, you see some let's say anomalies like big version numbers uh, unexpected mm -hmm. names then that's a sign that you could potentially be compromised. And then if there is a compromise to take place, obviously you can see from the sneak write-up or from our write-up or JFrog, often yeah. there, there are indicators of compromise, command and control servers that are used, um, yes. you know, and, and what but have you that, that you would The biggest for. thing which will catch your name is probably the version numbers. Someone can modify this code, put another yep. package name, someone can change uh, command and control server encryption keys anything like that that can be changed but what is if he's targeting you with dependency confusion attack then they are targeting your dependencies mm -hmm. from your prior policy so that's the place that you wish to check and see if that uh, if public package exists on npm it's not hard okay final final question and again if people have questions uh, ask them because we're we're about to wrap it up. Um, final, final question. Are the platform vendors themselves, NPM, GitHub, et cetera, are they, are they engaging with this issue or this problem at all in terms of uh, features or, or, um, or kind of tightening up uh, their, their you know, business logic to address these, um, these attacks? Or are they sort of like, you know, this is the way it's supposed to work? Well, 
my opinion is that they are handling it like this is what we wish you to work you make yeah. sure you configure it well and you will be safe so don't be don't be dumb <laughs> yes read the manual or something right. like that read, read. rtfm yeah 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 <laughs> uh got it um okay we have uh one question uh from the audience and uh carolyn is here to uh to read. hey carolyn how you doing Hi, everybody. Hi, nice to see you all. My name is Carolyn Van Arsdale. I'm a cyber content creator here at Reversing Labs. I'm so happy to be here. We have one question for you, Carlo. You ready? Yes. <laughs> um, so this one question we've got for you is, what data source could help defenders detect such attacks? Question for well, you. Yeah, there is no central, central source of data. A lot of companies are doing a lot of research on public repositories in the recent time, that's uh, where software supply chain attacks are becoming really popular in the last year and a half. A lot of companies are tackling this problem, doing their own research. There is no centralized, like uh, NVD for vulnerabilities. There's no central place where you can uh, find such information. What I personally do, I follow a few Twitter accounts, which have proven to give most information. Uh, you can always watch for cyber, some cyber news because usually in cyber news, somebody publishes when, even though that company isn't behind research, uh, this uh, information is usually shared. But uh, the fastest you will know on Twitter, security, uh, security professionals uh, like Twitter a lot. Uh, you will find it on Twitter probably before some uh, bigger article is written. So follow some interesting people on Twitter, and uh, that's your probably the best source of information. Okay, maybe we can share some of those accounts too in a in a, in a follow up uh, follow up uh, session. Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna launch a poll, and then I got one more question for you, Carlo. Um, so we got a few questions just for the for the audience. First of all. Um, are you interested in learning more? So if you want to uh, go into a deeper dive on um, uh, dependency confusion attacks, doesn't have to be NPM, uh, let us know. We've got experts like Carlo who are available to uh, tell you more. Um, Carlo, um, one of the things we've seen, in fact, there was just a tweet about it recently also is um, kind of folks, um, Kind of taking over domains associated with um, different code repositories and sort of um, and and um, you know that there is this kind of ecosystem um, that is vulnerable to uh, abuse or misuse um, around you know open source code and and code maintainers and so on. Um, what, what is there anything really that that organizations or companies can can do about that risk um, of just you know again. Uh, somebody takes over, you know, a, a domain associated with, um, you know, some big uh, commonly used, uh, you know, um, software module or component. Uh, somebody, you know, got a single single maintainer uh, um, module that, uh, you know, somebody takes over and and starts putting backdoors in or stuff like that. I mean, we've seen that happen uh, frequently as well. Um, any any easy way to uh, guard against that? Well. I'm not sure if there is an easy way. Uh, uh, things were designed to work in that way. Uh, you should 
let's say you should be responsible for your domain probably you should take care that it stays your you should protect your secrets in some other cases if you want to protect your account nobody will do that instead of you probably uh, there could possibly be some two-factor authentications or anything like that that we previously seen on protecting your personal email accounts something yeah. like that that yeah. would probably solve some of the problems but until that's implemented it's probably your responsibility to do that on your own it is something that we're really starting to address right now which is a lot of this open source ecosystem is really based on on trust right and and yes. you know trust between the different uh, participants um and that is obviously vulnerable to uh, to mis misuse and abuse okay uh final question folks um is the big one which is uh, are you interested in the uh, conversing labs t-shirt um so if you are we've uh, just let us know and um, we will follow up with an email get your address and send you one of the exclusive conversing labs t-shirts um and uh i wanted to um carlo uh, anything that i didn't ask you that you wanted to say or um point you wanted to make i didn't give you a chance to make no Thank you. It was a really nice conversation. <laughs> great conversation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Carlos Zanke, thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on uh, Conversing Labs. And um, we'll have you on again, I'm sure. You're, you're working on interesting stuff all the time. So uh, it'd be really great to have you back uh, to talk about it. And uh, thanks to uh, Carolyn. Thanks once again for your help. And thanks to all of our attendees once again. Um, we'll have another one of these coming up in a couple of weeks. We're going to do some live stuff from the ROSA conference beginning of June. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, Carlo, have a great day and thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Thanks to everybody who followed up to the end. Nice for me. <laughs> Hope it wasn't boring. No, nope. I don't think it was. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone.